Welcome to Unpack This, where academic misfits unload their shit. This is Joe Shu. And I am Constance Bailey. And in this episode, we're talking about self-care. It was also our first guest episode, which we're very excited about. And I guess that means we're doing this thing. It's it's really happening. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This is true. So I'm going to introduce our, our topic for today it is November, December. It is December in academia. And we are starting to get emails again about wellness and how to take care of your mental health. And so it occurred to me that we might talk about self-care. And, and mostly I brought that up in part because it is so much of a term that is thrown around in relation to the very genuine mental health crises that we are having around the world right now, often without any meaningful effect. But it does also, you know, address this very real fact that lots of people are struggling right now. And I thought that that might be a good inroad into the fact that Constance and I had a, another pipe dream side project where we were going to talk about the fact that we have both at one point or another, uh, had side hustles as fitness professionals. And so in some ways have both a critical and uncritical foot in the world of health and wellness. So it was a, it was a good crossover topic. And then Constance had a very apt guest for this idea. Yeah. Well, I think even before talking about our guests, I, I should say that, yes, we were certainly overambitious as we often are, but I also think Part of why we delayed Fittish as its own self-contained project is because Maintenance Phase came out and it's such a great podcast that addresses many of the things that they don't need our plugs. Lord knows they, they got all the, the listeners they can handle. But um, <laughs> it's just amazing. And a lot of the wellness and fitness industry mythology, they debunk and they do such a great job with research that I think in some ways... We were just late. If there are other things that they have yet to unearth or that are particularly, I think, appropriate for us. And in this case, I think you're spot on with thinking about self-care because I think your overall point, which maybe we'll get to later, is how does the institution try to displace responsibility for wellness? But yeah, it was so it was such a great topic this time of year because academic Burnout is real anyway, right? In, in December, especially the holidays, it's hard because you're so many of us are thinking about others like our kids and gift giving. And so it's hard in December where there's a heavy grading burden for academics and grad students. Um, I thought that a great guest would be my friend Phalia, who's a good friend from undergrad, but she started a podcast a few years ago called How to Take a Break. And it's really for... Um, I think started for Black women, but she's kind of expanded her reach. But it kind of speaks to the wellness issues. Basically, you need to take a break for yourself and to take care of yourself and prioritizing yourself. So I thought, you know, wouldn't she make a great guest? And so, yeah, that's how we arrived at our first guest today. She did. She, she made a wonderful guest. And I like that she pushed back against the very term self-care, which was kind of my tongue-in-cheek naming of this, this episode. I should also say that I have probably not the most productive relationship with the idea of self-care in that I have all of the criticisms about the institution and how it is often used to displace responsibility. You know, we get these emails about here are a couple of links to PDFs about men mental health resources, but also we're going to require all of this labor of you and we're not going to count it for any of the things and we're not going to give you job security for six years. So there's that. Um, but I also 
even with all my eye rolling and pushback, am very quite terrible about taking a break or, you know, understanding my own limitations. I mostly just barrel headlong into them and then, you know, regret it later. So I'm probably um, somebody who needs to, to listen to more of PM Caster's podcast. What about you? What's your relationship to this term? Yeah, I think probably hard same. I think that's the case for a lot of our stuff. It's like we are, I don't know if we're fundamentally incapable of taking breaks or prioritizing ourselves in the way that we should be. Or, and I'm going to throw it back to, I think, your overarching point, if there are systemic issues at place that make it more difficult for trans people and people of color and women and single parents and, and other people to take time for themselves. Because as much as I tell graduate students and other people, I say, child, my very folksy Southern way, child, you better tell those people no, <laughs> you know, but yet the the number of no's that I give is not sufficient <laughs> given my other responsibilities. But if, if I always feel like if everybody's saying no, someone has to say yes, you know, who's going to mentor graduate students, who's going to do some of the other necessary labor to keep some of the organizations functioning that are important to me. But also there are just the logistics of my family mean that many of the things that are my um, most time consuming things, you know, uh, logistical nightmares really are things that I can't actually say no to because right now I'm the only person who drives in my household and I'm the only adult in my household. And I, I have medical appointments and all of my children have many medical appointments. So this week, I think we had five appointments and I had a parent meeting and I rescheduled one to next week, which means I just have four appointments next week. <laughs> so yeah. it's quite practically the things that, I mean, I'm kind of manufacturing time right now, but yeah. So I think that can create for us what feels like an antagonistic relationship with self-care because we don't really know how to do We know we should do it or maybe uh, it's a concept that we should embrace, but I don't think we practically can do it or something. I, yeah. So since since our conversation with our guests goes well into different strategies uh, for self-care, I thought that we might take this intro section and talk a bit more like what are the barriers to, what are the very real conditions that we often overlook when we throw around the term self-care. And, you know, you just gave us all sorts of examples from your own life. I was thinking about how I mean, for a lot of academics, it feels like we've just been stuck in spring 2020 for a very long time. And in part, that's because most of us at universities are not getting any information about how the following semester is going to go. Uh, as far as we know, nobody at UT has any solid information yet. In part, that is because of a lack of information from the top down. Pretty much no one knows. But that means that every semester we've been reinventing classes and reinventing teaching strategies, discovering some things that do or don't work on top of parenting, on top of being chronically ill, on top of you know all of the life responsibilities, which means that when we have the section that is, say, winter break, um, mine is literally just doctor's appointments and labs the whole way through because they were things I couldn't do during the whole semester, right? And so there are, there are these just like material co constrictions, restrictions that are time. And also, as junior faculty, both of us who don't have tenure, you can say in theory that we have the the right to say no. People can tell you, the very same people who tell me that, you know, you should say no are also oftentimes the people who ask me to do things. <laughs> and oftentimes yeah. those people have decision-making power, right? And 
there's this other thing where they kind of break you down, right? After about two or three no's, I start to feel really bad about the number of no's that I have said. And that's how I usually end up with an obligation that I didn't intend to agree to in the first place. And so, you know, it's it's easy to say that we have the option of self-care, that we should take a break or that we should set our boundaries. But there are all of these both um, formal policies that make it hard, whether that is like a limitation on how many hours there are in the day, but also informal policies in terms of who we're afraid to cut off, in terms of what relationships we need and, and, and want to foster. And kind of like you're mentioning, in terms of the fact that we are here because we wanted to do work that we thought was important. And sometimes that work's not going to get done if we don't do the thing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's true. I, I could say a lot more about that, but I think that you've probably said enough. So I do maybe want to circle back to in terms of institutional or systemic things, at least with, I really, I suspect that this situation is here is comparable to your institution, but honestly, I am so inundated with emails. If they disseminated anything that suggests what the spring class structure or situation would be, I would not know because I am buried in email. So I'm going to, I'm going to, take ownership of that right now. But the worst thing, the emails with the PDFs and links are super annoying. But the other thing that's institution wide, and I think not just academic, but like business, like the virtual uh, retreats or the virtual wellness. I don't even know. I mean, retreat for lack of a better word, but I've seen some other terms thrown around. But it's like, are you seriously going to say, you know, let me not give you any extra compensation for maybe mental health visits or other things that you've had to incur as a result of this forced isolation. Let me not give you any work release or any reprieve. Let me send you this link. We will pay for this thing for you to do another thing in a virtual space. But meanwhile, if you were to fully engage, you still have to have like childcare or suspend your teaching or research responsibilities. And I don't know this to be specific to my institution, and I don't even know that we've done that in a formal way, but I have certainly seen it <laughs> in the academic um, stratosphere or whatever alternate universe that academics live in. And I just think it's hilarious. I, and when I look at them, it's, it's to me just kind of patently absurd. But do you have any thoughts about those <laughs> retreats? As in, we have literally devoted money to this thing that is going to talk at you about how to take care of yourself, but we're not going to spend money so that you can actually take time <laughs> to take care of yourself. Yeah. And it's kind of like DEI practices writ large, which is we can name a thing after the work we should be doing to pretend that that work exists, right? So the work of Sarah Ahmed um, is huge here in terms of how naming diversity work can be a way of not doing diversity work, right? We've designated it to this space, to this person, to this one Zoom webinar. So we've taken care of it. And therefore, we're not going to actually address the fact that all of our faculty are very burnt out, that all of the students are struggling right now, that all of our staff are way underpaid. Um, and, you know, we're just going to send them PDFs about some places to go for mental health counseling. Yeah, I mean, it boggles the mind. That's probably the best way that I can put it. So, yeah, I just think that for all that I am sometimes dismissive of the phrase self-care, you know, I do think to kind of get back to what we originally wanted to talk about. There has to be a way to find some kind of balance between institutional praxis and our own individual needs. I think Phalia's insights 
will be useful. She definitely has at least some resources that I definitely want to check out. I, I, I don't know. I'm wondering what, how do we strike? How do you find that balance? I think one idea that resonates with me is this idea of community. And I think that's what, what feels so hard or so difficult, uh, which I have found a good community. It's a small community, but I have you know started to foster a community here, although you left me. So my community <laughs> is smaller I know. now. <laughs> yeah. But I left, so I left the community altogether. <laughs> right. Well, yes, but guilt and shame can go long ways. <laughs> so what extent is there community support And if there's not institutional support, and the other thing I would say that's connected to that, as far as I'm concerned, is failure mentions vulnerability. I have not had sufficient caffeine today. Okay. But the other way to think about it is I really like, I think Melissa Harris Perry's Sister Citizen, but also Patricia Hill Collins' Black feminist thought, um, both scholars and other scholars mention like the myth of the the superwoman and the way in which Black women's strength has been mythologized and, and not through any malicious intent on the part of Black men or other people who are saying Black women are resilient, Black women are strong. But when people say that to me, it's funny because now I think most of my guy friends know not to say it to me. I'm like, do you want me to go off now or later? <laughs> and then they're just like, yeah, what do you mean? I'm I'm complimenting you. No, you're not. You're not doing me any favors. I'm not trying to be a martyr to my strength and you're not going to strong black woman me into the grave. Tell me that, hey, I'm paying for dinner this week or I'm paying for Molly maids or, hey, I know you need help. So I'm doing this thing. Don't say I know that because black women have historically been strong and have had to do these things. I know that you can or somehow that you should do all of these things. Right. And so that's been my ministry. So if anybody has heard me on a soapbox for the last, (laughs) you know, six months or a year, uh, the pandemic, if it's taught me anything, it's like, no, I'm not the strong black woman. I'm not trying to be the strong black woman. Hats off to our mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers and whoever had to wear that badge and wore it well, she shouldn't have had to. So I'm not feeling that at all. So I'm all about the, whether we call it self-care or not, you know, I'm all about taking the break, prioritizing self and finding ways to try to be selfish, really. Yeah. So I, I love that you noted the same moment that I did. I literally wrote it down in front of me when she was talking about vulnerability and how scary it is to ask for help from other people, because this is, this is the moment when you might hear back from these people that you're not worthy of it, that they don't care about you enough, that or they, they don't have the resources, but what it ends up showing you is that you might be alone in this and that there's a very real fear that nobody's going to answer when you when you ask. There's also the very real connections that you build when people do um, and the very real communities that you do, but it's a, it's a risk that folks aren't necessarily used to taking and one that is scary to do. The other thing I, I wanted to respond to was your mention of the strong black woman trope. Um, my angle into a related trope is the super crip, where the disabled person is only um, recognizable or worth celebrating if they can overcome their disability, right? And so I'm a disabled person who has been uh, disabled for over a decade. And this job is the first time during the pandemic is the first time that I asked for institutional accommodations because I, I ran up to the very limits of what my body could do. And 
I was speaking to Alison Kiefer, who's a disability studies scholar, a wonderful colleague, um, who was giving me advice on how to, you know, even talk to the office uh, for accommodations. And she was saying that she hears this a lot from disabled faculty that she talks to where like a lot of the things out of our mouth is just, okay, but if I just tried a little harder or if I moved this thing around, or if I, you know, managed this better, maybe I could suck it up and do this thing, this totally unreasonable thing that I shouldn't have to be doing. Right. But we have internalized this guilt about, individual responsibility that, you know, the world has given us and that the institution emphasizes that it's our responsibility to take care of our needs, our emotions, um, and nobody else's. And it's isolating and it actually is fundamentally opposed to both self and community care. So I love that we're highlighting that, right? That mutual aid is a term that's come up a lot, but that more broadly, being able to reach for and take care of one another is really the only way we're going to survive. You know, um, everybody's saying it these days, your job is not going to love you back, <laughs> but we're all learning it in perhaps even harsher realities right now. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing too, that's really sort of interesting is that especially with disability studies and crip studies is, is a new feel for me. I attended a great seminar a couple of weeks ago by Black women activists, and they were talking about, you know, Fannie Lou Hamer. And, and I always think about her civil rights activism and forget about her as a disability activist. And in some ways, it's made me rethink my own identity in terms of able-bodiedness, because you and I have talked about this, where I haven't wanted to exploit what I felt like is to me a temporary condition, but I do feel that it's it's really unfortunate that individuals have to think about mutual aid and their own wellness. And since I have had mobility issues over the last year or so and have had disability as maybe a temporary category and not fully an aspect of my identity that I've embraced in part because I'm trying to be more sensitive to a community that I haven't been fully immersed in, but just even that minimal amount of time, I thought, okay, this institution is not um, ADA friendly. Just things that to me seem to be common sense, but probably weren't registering with me before. But also now thinking about the way in which we expect people to wear their disability. And this has been hard for me as a parent of children who have various mental and other conditions that aren't visible. The way in which we expect not just dis disabled persons to advocate for themselves, but that they have to somehow, like when I have, when my arthritis is so debilitating that I can barely move, I may use a cane, but most days I don't. But then the expectation is somehow that, why aren't you doing X, Y, Z? You know, I'm not going to pretend to be a runner like I used to pretend to do a decade ago because I can some days barely move. Somehow that I have to perform my ability or lack of, it's really annoying. And the psychological burden of that day in, day out, I just imagine has to be crushing, right? And yeah. Yeah, I actually, so you can't quite see it. I have a cane in my office that I sometimes use when I am too dizzy to, I mean, it's a balance issue, but I am really self-conscious about it when I'm out in public, in part because I don't need it all of the time. Um, and so Jay Dolmage, a disability studies scholar, has named the cliche disability drop that there are all of these films that 
create the stereotype of the fake disabled person, somebody who is exploiting the system and is taking advantage of it uh, to the point that people will be suspicious of disabled people. If say you are a wheelchair user who doesn't always use the wheelchair um, and it creates this very real psychological damage, like you're saying, where we question ourselves <laughs> and how we're presenting and how we're wearing that disability in public. And it's, um, it's a social slash structural problem that has very real personal harm, right? Yeah, if I had to steal Phalia's term, a breakaway. I think there's some degree, maybe cognitive dissonance, for lack of a better word. I don't know. But I, I like this idea of, yeah, that the structural and systemic issues still cause us personal and localized problems, and we still have to address those. So I think that just to, I guess, bring things on home, I think Phalia's point about embracing the no, I think is the way she puts it, is a really excellent takeaway, but also just to be mindful of the way that, to your point, the way that structural and systemic problems still cause us personal and localized issues, right? And that we have to try to grapple with that, but that community and mutual aid, at least two ways that we can start to try to sustain each other through this process of self-care, maybe. Yeah. yeah, there's no like neat, you know, putting a bow on it way to talk about it. But for me, the breakaway or takeaway is very much that we need each other and we need a vocabulary with which to reach out to one another, uh, both to give and take care, to understand that that is a relationship that's always in flux, that sometimes I will need more, sometimes you will need more, but that we ultimately at the end of the day are aspiring to survive together. Um, there's this moment in Trans Care, Hill Melatino's really wonderful book, uh, where he talks about the futility of doing this like quantifying of debt. And his example is when talking to his partner, right? I could say that you didn't do the dishes tonight and I did them the, the night before, but it doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, we need one another to survive, right? So it's not so much that we're competing against each other trying to reach these goals so much as we're actively together with the resources that we bring to the table, trying to get there, you know, with one another. Oh, wow. That's a really great point. I love that. If, if I had a partner, I would totally invoke that quote. Um, but, <laughs> when you do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So even though we're wrap, sort of wrapping up, I do have one question because we ask this of our guests. We haven't asked each other. So just quickly before we leave, what is your favorite form of quote unquote self-care? Oh, man. OK, so this is hard because it used to be slash is fitness. I used to be um, I mean, I, I was a CrossFit and weightlifting coach and there's a whole backstory and relationship with that that we'll get into one day. Um, I did jujitsu before the pandemic. And 2020 to 2021, one of my symptoms was that I would go into like full-blown autoimmune crises if I overstressed myself. And so I had this whole identity crisis of like, how do I deal with stress without this one thing that I have used to, to cope? Um, and so more recently, I uh, bought a guitar. I'm getting back in touch with the fact that I did music for the first, you know, 15 years of my life. I do like taking walks, kind of like Failure was saying. Uh, it's not so much running these days, but long walks with my dogs, long hikes with my partner. Those are, those are things that have worked their way back into my life and definitely still using the garage gym when my body lets me. What about you? 
Yeah, that's funny. Maybe that's why we're such good friends. We have very similar interests. And so I was just bemoaning the fact that I have not been able to work out as much as an outlet, as a way to challenge myself physically to help be kind of a mental distraction. But that is really one of my you know, favorite forms of quote unquote self-care or just mental releases. And I'm going to attempt some of that <laughs> this, this weekend. But I think, I don't know if spending money is like self-care because on some way it's- <laughs> Yeah, it's, my partner would definitely say yes. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's counterintuitive, right? But I like um, shopping. I <laughs> No, seriously, I've spent an inordinate amount of time uh, trying to put together the perfect ensemble for like my once every six month outing. And and so I get great joy from that, even though it's a time suck. But really, I think lately I've been getting back to reading and just simple things like copious amounts of wine when <laughs> I can. So inexpensive. I mean, that's the thing that I like to, to advocate for people who need a break. You don't necessarily have to spend money. So if I buy like a new tea and I think I'm going to invest in one of those fancy tea things that like I when I drink coffee I'd grind beans and now I don't drink coffee because I can't handle the caffeine but I'm like oh tea doesn't have as much caffeine maybe I'll get one of the you know but anyways so spending money as related to my personal pleasure (laughs) is is now self-care but it It is is. prioritizing yourself yeah Yeah, it should not be expensive and it should not be inconvenient. So even if you have to hide in your closet, (laughs) folks, Mm. take the time you need for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess for folks who are listening, we understand that this is a struggle. We also want to acknowledge that it is not just you. It's not on you. It's not your fault. Um, And also, to the extent that you can, we encourage you and applaud you for carving out space and time for yourself. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have questions, shoot us an email at the unpack this podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on the Twitter, uh, which we won't check, but you know, just drop us a message anyway. The unpack this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Help us blow up to the point that we'll actually run our Twitter. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. For our self-care episode, we actually have our first guest, so we're super excited about that. So today, our guest that's joining us is none other than Phalia McCorkle-Kester. She is the CEO and founder of PM Kester Enterprises, LLC. PM Kester is the break-taking strategist, host, and creator behind How to Take a Break, the podcast. Her three core break-taking areas are career, money, and relationships, the latter of which is the basis of I Am Open to Love, the journal, Slash workbook. Quote, when we take the break to love ourselves, it opens us up to better love others. This journal and workbook is a tool to do the work on yourself to propel your life forward, end quote. And I should also add that Thalia is a dear friend of mine from Alcorn State University. Yay! Always Alcorn. She's also my fitness buddy. She does some virtual fitness classes with me. So I've been fortunate enough to be a guest on her podcast, which is wonderful. I am a little behind now, though. But welcome, Thalia. Oh, yay! I'm so happy to be here on Fittish. Yes, I'm enjoying it. Happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Well, it's funny that you said that. So I should clarify. So Fittish, which is is so it was going to be its own standalone thing right now it's kind of a segment 
on the mm-hmm. Unpractice podcast because, mm-hmm. I, well, I don't know. We, we just haven't gotten our lives together yet, but at some point <laughs> it will be a standalone thing. And so it's just a segment of Unpack This. But thank you for remembering that, right? So um, yes, finish. You, you talked about it. Oh my child. And I was sitting exactly. here and I was like, wait one second. What are we yeah, doing? Are you doing two sure. podcasts? Are you yeah, doing no, like- call it a strategy of self-preservation. <laughs> we realize that we do not in fact have the time to do two podcasts. So now we've, we've slotted it into the existing project. Yes. Yeah, so I this it. is I the time where I was we- like, dang, y'all doing a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we try. <laughs> We're over ambitious for sure. But so this is the time when we would talk about fitness slash wellness related things. And today we wanted to engage in a little bit of conversation about self-care. And because your podcast, to my mind, is very much about self-care, I figured that'd be a good starting point. Like, you know, what made you decide to do this topic in particular for your podcast? Why taking a break as a topic? Um, So in September of 2017, I was rushed to the emergency room with chest pains. It was hard for me to catch my breath. Like I went to sleep the night before and didn't think I was going to wake up, which is kind of scary. You hear people saying stuff like that on the internet. You're like, that's not logical. Then it happened to you. And you was like, oh, wow, this is like a movie of the week or something. And (laughs) like, who's going to play me on Lifetime? But it happened and it was real. And it was a wake up call because at that time, it was like everything in my life was just like chugging forward at a fast pace that was just kind of uncontrollable. Like, and it culminated in this big health crisis. And by the time I left there, I took the stress test, got through all this stuff with people taking off my clothes and trying to figure out if I'm having a heart attack. And my blood pressure was like 250 over 100, which... I remember when I was taking the stress test and I knew something was wrong because I started with one doctor in the room and then all of a sudden there was like four. And I'm like, well, this isn't good. Everybody's sitting there and they're just all looking at me asking questions like, so you can talk, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> because I was this close to having a stroke and they could not figure, but it was just something that was pushing me on. But, you know, it was a wake up call and that journey to trying to figure out what was happening with my body and my life at that time kind of led me on this process of why it was so important to take a break, what that meant for my mental health, my physical health, and my overall well-being. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I know that lately your social media stuff has been like taking a break to be unbusy. And I've been trying to (laughs) deliberately engage with those posts when I see it. I'm like, yes, I'm going to take a nap today because we do get overwhelmed. I know we could talk forever, but I'm going to defer to Joe to ask the next question. But yeah. Yeah, thank you for that story and sharing us how you got here. It actually brings to mind for me my sort of fraught relationship with the idea of self-care because it is like this key word that people throw around right now, right? To like deflect responsibility for the amount of pressure that we actively put on people. You're probably running around really busy and stressed out, not because you want to be, but because there are very real life demands that you're trying to respond to. So I guess... I'm curious, what are some ways of thinking about taking a break or self-care that are not useful for you? And what are ones that are helpful for you? So I don't like the term self-care Sunday. I think just kind of like the word self-care, it became like the sexy buzzword. Um, And when you you peel back the layers of Sunday, and I understand why (laughs) we use self-care Sunday, 
But it almost implies like that's the only day of the week that you need to be taking a break. And when you look at uh, especially the numbers now of people's stress levels, especially women and women of color during this pandemic, life in general, but especially during this pandemic, um, and the numbers of more women of color that are having strokes, heart disease, diabetes, all of these are stress-related illnesses. And so if we were to just delegate one day for taking a break, that really does not move a needle. Taking a break has to be something that is part of your day-to-day living. So I just don't, I don't like that. Um, I'm more of, we should try to find some time every day to take a break, whether it's 15 minutes to an hour, maybe it's 15 minutes to sit in a closet. Yes, I have done that before. (laughs) (laughs) Escaping my kids. Look, I see Constance's face, you know, reading a book or, you know, 30 minutes to walk around the block if you have it and you have to get invented with it. It's not going to be some perfect every time, every day for every people because this is life. But I don't like that term of self-care Sunday just one day because it really has to become part of your lifestyle. It's kind of like the problem with you like delegate it there. So it's Mm -hmm. as if you've taken care of it, but without actually addressing the sort of core problem of why you're not able to Mm -hmm. carve out this time for yourself. I'm also curious what you've discovered throughout this podcast. (laughs) I'm always learning something. I tell people that this podcast is very much, I'm helping people, but really I'm helping myself. (laughs) Um, And I did an episode talking about my big break taking lessons, but um, the biggest lesson is, is that, you know, things change and you have to change with it. And with that mindset is that you're going to have to kind of reteach yourself almost like maybe every month or every other day that, you know, you are deserving of a break. I think a lot of times we feel like we can't. We have to kind of be a martyr to what's going on in our life. And we have a lot of stuff going on. I'm a mother of two. I was just running before we got to this podcast because I have a college kid who um, needs to go to the doctor and couldn't drive herself. And then the middle school kid wanted forgot all her stuff for one of her classes and you know you're running where and I have like (laughs) I'm off work but I still have work stuff to do and so it can be very easy to get caught up in this trap and I find myself even though I think I know better getting caught up in this trap of well you know this is just how life is I don't deserve a break I you know because I have to work and I have to make ends meet and I have to take care of these kids But that's part of the big lesson that always comes back to me is that I'm deserving of this break and that I have to find time every day to take this break. And it has to be a priority for me. Yeah. So I'm going to ask one more question and then pass the mic to Constance. But your, your mention of kids made me think about, you know, how our lives are so bound up in other people's attention and needs and another sort of keyword that gets thrown around without necessarily the conversations we need for the how-to is, is boundaries, right? So mm. what are some strategies or approaches to managing your attention, your emotions, your time that helps you carve out those breaks? Um, so the biggest thing that's helped me boundary-wise is learning that I had to delegate. Um, I, leading up to this point in 2017, I, I really... I was lucky to have like a good group of doctors and they were all females. Mm. And they basically, (laughs) I I loved how that all came together. 
But when we got to the point where we were doing all the tests and we were finding like, you know, well, these tests are coming back normal, but you're still having this problem. So the cardiologist basically sat me down and she said, let's just write down some things like what's going on in your life? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what is your day like? And I started wow. talking about stuff going on at home, how that was impacting, you know, in my diet at the time and stuff like that. And she was like, so it sounds like <laughs> you're doing everything. And so the big lesson to me and um, the boundary I set up is flexing my no muscle. Um, and that was actually hard for me because I do like to be, well, I did like to be the yes person, right? You know, oh, I can volunteer to do that, especially where, oh, I can do that or feeling like I had to volunteer to do that instead of just being honest and saying I don't have the time to do that. Or even when I get home, instead of trying to be super mom, right, and go to everything and do everything and be everything, delegating and why can't my kids cook? You know, it's not going to be a gourmet meal, but they can warm up some Tyson chicken patties and open up a box of mac and cheese. And it's little things like that or leaving something until the morning because there's not time. So flexing that no bustle is like the, the biggest boundary that I think I've said, but also delegation is secondary, like sec- secondary to that. I can't do it all, but I'm going to let you know that I need some help with this and it's okay. That's huge. I, I'm chronically ill in and out of doctor's offices all the time. I have never had a doctor sit down and ask me what is going on with my life. <laughs> it just blew my mind. It was great. And it was her and um, my um, my pulmonologist because I also had found out I had asthma during the time. So it was like a whole health thing, but they were all females. And I do wonder, you know, that's a whole nother episode, just, you know, just looking at my care, how different. I don't think I would have got that question if I had, had a male doctor. Yeah, when Which I when I wake up doctors, I'm very much thinking, who is going to look at me like a human being? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that that is not a guarantee in a lot of doctors' offices for sure. Yeah. Constance, thank you. Sorry for that weird pause. I was try, trying to multitask as we do. One thing I think that, that I'll borrow from Phalia for this for this crossover episode is what I'm calling it. Right, so Phalia so does this thing called breakaways, and I feel like that flexing the no muscle is a good break as opposed to the takeaway, like the breakaway, like from this episode, which I tell people to do all the time, and I am absolutely horrible at it. So, <laughs> as both of you, I'm sure know. So. One thing I'm interested is this idea of self-care Sunday. And you and I have even talked about this, I think, on the Mm -hmm. podcast where I've said self-care is more than just bubble baths and spa days. I think the reason Joe and I were interested in this topic is that we really wanted to think about what are some ways that we can stop trying to make people personally personally lowered, I'm making up words, personally accountable for their well-being, which is what, in some ways, this affirmation of self-care does. But having said that, what are some things, and I like the way you put it, how to take a break as, or taking a break as opposed to self-care, right? The sort of cliche term. What are some of your favorite ways to get away, take a break, other than hiding in the closet, right? What are, what's your go-to <laughs> uh, you know, thing to do to, to sort of get away from it all? Um, so because I have like two, so something that I do now I incorporate since I'm working from home is I take like, I set a timer for 15 minutes and I literally play games on my phone. Like I, <laughs> I sit there and it, I, 
I work in a very scientific field. So I, it's something I found. And at first I thought, I was like, well, this is insane. But I recognized that it was kind of helping me. Like, you know, it kind of took me out of that, that world. It was like my quiet time during the day, just away from that laptop. Um, of course, I'm in front of another screen, but I'm doing something kind of fun, challenging my mind. It's like little puzzles and, and things like that. So that's one thing that I like to do. Um, my biggest thing that that I reconnected with over the pandemic is walking. I used to run a lot um, <laughs> pre, pre, pre-stroke, uh, almost stroke time. Um, but I reconnected to walking because there's a piece in it. Depending on the time you day, day you go, um, and I go by myself. I think one of the things I learned, I used to try to include the kids, which is fine, you know, for family time. But I do like to take walks by myself, you know, just me and my pod, a, a podcast I'm listening to or music. Sometimes I talk on the phone, but a lot of times I don't even do that because I just like that time to kind of be in my own hand, head and experience nature. But it, it opens up so much. I get like a lot of show ideas just about walking. No, my writing breakthroughs always come up when I walk away from my desk. And yep. it's a really hard thing to remember when I'm, you know, stuck and trying to make myself get through the paragraph. But the moment I get up to take a shower or make a snack, that's when the idea actually hits. Yeah. And there might be some research to support that something about the physiology, like something of movement and, and thought and all that, you know, this, this research that I don't have handy. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so I guess the, one of the other things that I would ask is what are what or who rather are some people that you learned from in terms of self-care practices or resources that you've gone to that you might recommend to others or that you found personally instructive? Um. So, so I have to make sure I, I jot some stuff down in case I was asked. Um, so someone I follow on Instagram, who's a New York Times bestselling author now, um, Nidra Glover-Tawab, she does a lot of stuff on boundaries. And that is always, out of all the, the interviews I've had on now in season three of my podcast, that's the biggest thing people talk about is, is boundaries with taking a break, right? Because, you know, there's so much of our taking a break, self-care, whatever, wrapped up in saying yes to ourselves and no to these other things. Because, you know, a lot of times our boundaries are like the little linchpin to like a lot of the stressors going on in our life. And she is really good. Her book is, is really good. And she drops like a lot of, of stuff on her page. And I have read and studied it and, you know, print some out even and hung them around my house. So it it has helped me a lot in understanding even some of the the breaks that I take and don't take, you know, and how boundaries affect that. Another self-care resource, and and you're going to find a lot of my stuff is kind of, um, I look at self-care as as almost inner work in some areas. And so this is maybe some some inner work with learning about boundaries, um, vulnerabilities. Um, Miss Brene Brown does a lot of stuff with that. Um, Her book, Daring Greatly, I talked about that on the podcast too helped me out a lot, um, not only in dating, but recognizing like, but vulnerability is also a boundary issue. And so, because you have to tell people that I need the help. I need this time. Can you help me by doing this for me? That's a vulnerability, opening up, telling people that, you know, I'm not superwoman. So can you watch my kids for 30 minutes? (laughs) Or, um, 
can you help me with dinners every other Friday so I can go to like a hot yoga class or something like that. But you have to kind of be vulnerable and recognizing that you are deserving of that and that you are enough and you can step out and ask for these things. So I think that's well. Now, as far as community, things that have helped me during the pandemic, of course, somebody had something called Constance Bailey Fitness. And um, <laughs> that actually has helped me or not because a lot of times we need accountability, right? Um, and trying to eat healthy, um, trying to go on these journeys and you want accountability that's going to be supportive and not something that's going to be almost like bullying, which I think that's also goes into kind of this self-care and health and wellness landscape. You either get like the good or the bad with it. Like it can be, some can be uplifting, some can be damaging. Um, so you want a good supportive community and Constance provided that with, with her challenges and her group. Um, also Tracy Brown Fitness, Tracy Denise, Denise Fitness on um, Instagram is also good with um, her stuff about nutrition and time. She, again, talks about boundaries, but also she hits it from the fitness coach area and how we not denying stuff. Because a lot of the health and wellness journey almost seems like you're denying yourself stuff in one of her posts. And um, she did a live about, you know, you can be healthy and still have your lemon pepper wet. So, <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> but those are just things, those are resources, those are people like support and the inner work that I think we have to do when we talk about self-care and taking a break. Those are awesome. Yeah, thanks for the shout out. I, I'm glad you said that too, because I was like, shoot, I owe some people some gifts because everyone who knows me knows that I'm about external motivation. Like, I mean, it's great if you have intrinsic motivation, but some folks like, I like prizes. So I, I think... I'm woefully behind because it's that time in the semester, but but I owe some people some gifts. But I tell you what, I know I could ask a thousand questions, but I want to just open it up to Joe if you have any other questions. Otherwise, we'll just plan on a follow-up at some point in the future um, so that we don't tie up your whole day. Oh, no, I'm always happy to come back and I have to have both of you on my podcast. So we'll have to work something out. Yeah, We'll have an ongoing relationship. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Okay, well, I tell you what, tell the people how we can find you, our droves of followers, PM Kester. <laughs> yes, our droves all together. Um, you can find me on Instagram, which is probably the best source, at PM Kester, K E S T E R. Um, on Facebook, How to Take a Break podcast is the Facebook page. If you type it in, it should come up. You'll see like a lovely Black woman logo with, with some um, headphones on. On Twitter, and I have to admit, I am not super active on Twitter. I do post on Twitter, but I don't engage as much as I used to like four years ago probably. <laughs> but I am on Twitter at PCMKester on Twitter. And of course, podcast is like on every available platform how to take a break podcast well we'll link to that in the show summary as well well thank you so 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 much for joining us i gotta get caught up in especially like the holiday season messages like how to take a break during this season which i definitely and also like how to take a break this is kind of a sidebar, like for academics, right? Uh, during the <laughs> holidays, like there's a horrible intersection of like end of semester chaos slash mm -hmm. holidays slash Joe and I both have 
5,000 medical appointments. <laughs> yes. So, so we are, we are in need of how to take a break. We need that ministry right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I hope you get it. I have been seeing some of your posts about grading papers and calling in favors. So <laughs> I hope that you both um, can, can finish out this semester and take a break for yourselves. But thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Awesome.